Welcome to episode four in the AIC seasonal video series, Trinity Tide, the teaching season. I'm Father Ron Shibley, founder and director of the Anglican Internet Church. The focus of episode four is the collect epistle and gospel readings for the sixth, seventh, and eighth Sundays after Trinity and more discussion of appropriate seasonal music for these occasions from the St. Chrysostom Hymnal. Previously in this series, in episode one, my focus was on the history of Trinity season, the relationship between Whitsunday Pentecost and Trinity Sunday in season, the Collex Epistles, Collex Canticles Epistle and Gospel readings for Whitsuntide, the Collex and Epistle and Gospel readings for Monday and Tuesday in Whitsun Week. In episode two, the focus was on Trinity Sunday and the first and second Sundays after Trinity. In episode three, the focus was on the third through the fifth Sunday after Trinity. In each of episodes two and three, I mentioned three hymns to the Holy Trinity from the AIC bookstore publication, the St. Chrysostom Hymnal. The illustration is a circa 1420 A.D. temperer and gilt-on-panel icon by the renowned Russian icon painter Andrei Rublyov, originally painted for the iconostasis at the Holy Trinity Cathedral at the Monastery of St. Sergeyus at Sergeyev Posad, Russia. The collect for the sixth Sunday after Trinity was adapted by Archbishop Cramner for the 1549 Book of Common Prayer from the Gregorian Sacramentary using a collect adapted from the Gelasian Sacramentary. Except for the 17th Sunday after Trinity, all the collects through Trinity 21 follow the Gelasian Sacramentary model. Here the theme has changed from previous Sundays after Trinity, now emphasizing God's beneficence as being beyond human understanding or in prayer book language which passeth all understanding. And in the second half, a paraphrase of St. Paul in 1 Corinthians 2, 9, which itself is a paraphrase of Isaiah 64, verse 4. O God, who has prepared for those who love thee such good things as pass man's understanding, pour into our hearts such love toward thee, that we, loving thee above all things, may obtain thy promises, which exceed all that we can desire, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. The illustration is a gilded, larger-than-life statue of St. Paul, which is placed atop a tall column on the northeast side of the grounds at St. Paul's Cathedral, London, England. The statue stands on the site where the English martyr William Tyndale preached the gospel in the 16th century. The epistle reading for Sixth Sunday after Trinity, Romans 6, verses 3 through 11, is St. Paul's short lesson in the meaning of Jesus' life, crucifixion, death, and resurrection, emphasizing baptism, the death of the old man, as the critical rite of entry into the kingdom of God. It is the first of many readings from St. Paul through the end of Trinity season, all presented in the order of the canonical Bible, which is based upon the length of the letters to each church, that is, Romans, 
Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Thessalonians. The summary is found in verses 10 and 11. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive in God, in Christ Jesus our Lord. The illustration is another larger-than-life statue of St. Paul, bearing a sword by Giuseppe Obici, circa 1850 A.D., in the palm-lined courtyard in front of the Basilica of St. Paul outside the walls, Rome, Italy. In Western church statuary and art, the presence of the sword indicates the manner of his death. St. Paul was beheaded outside Rome around 68 A.D. during the reign of the Emperor Nero. The Gospel reading for six Sunday after Trinity, Matthew 5, verses 20 to 26, was spoken by Jesus around 28 A.D. at the start of his ministry as part of the Sermon on the Mount, following not long after the statement of the Beatitudes. It offers new, broader, positive instruction on Old Testament teaching concerning righteousness and reconciliation, effectively an expansion of the thou shalt not language of the commandments. The first of the two quotations is verse 22, using the New King James translation. I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment, and whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council, but whoever says, You fool, shall be in danger of hell fire. The second quotation is verses 25 and 26. Agree with your adversary quickly while you are on the way with him lest your adversary deliver you to the judge, the judge hand you over to the officer, and you be thrown into prison. Assuredly, I say to you, you will by no means get out of there till you have paid the last penny. The illustration is the Sermon on the Beatitudes, an opaque watercolor over graphite on gray wove paper by James Tissot, one of his scenes in the life of Christ, which he painted between 1886 and 1894 A.D., and they are in the collection of the Brooklyn Museum. Note that Tissot shows Jesus standing and the listeners sitting while the scriptural text says he was seated in the manner of rabbis of that day. The Collect for Seventh Sunday after Trinity was adapted from the Gelasian Sacramentary with a paraphrase of James 1, verse 17a, introduced into the opening line by Archbishop Cranmer, after which the Collect makes four specific petitions. Lord of all power and might, who art the author and giver of all good things, graft in our hearts the love of thy name, Increase in us true religion, nourish us with all goodness, and of thy great mercy keep us in the same. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. The illustration is a portrait of Pope Gelasius I at the Basilica of St. Paul outside the walls, Rome, Italy, installed around 1850 A.D. 
during a restoration of the basilica following a devastating fire a few decades earlier. Gelasius was pope from 492 to 496 A.D. The epistle reading for 7th Sunday after Trinity, Romans 6, verses 19 to 23, is a continuation of St. Paul's mini-homily from the 6th Sunday after Trinity. Death to sin and baptism, he wrote, does not exempt Christians from choices, here between being a servant or slave of sin or a servant or slave of God, Concluding with this warning in verses 22 and 23 from the NKJV text, which clarifies the meaning of servant that was used in the King James Book of Common Prayer wording. But now, having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The illustration is an oil-on panel attributed to Dutch engraver and painter Lucas von Leiden, painted around 1520 A.D. from the collection of the Yale University Art Gallery in New Haven, Connecticut. The Gospel reading for 7th Sunday after Trinity, Mark 8, verses 1 through 9, is St. Mark's account of the feeding of the 4,000, also reported in Matthew 15, verses 32 to 38. Having gone three days without food, the multitude which has followed Jesus and his disciples for days is gathered in the Decapolis, a Gentile region on the northeast side of the Sea of Galilee in mid-29 A.D. The disciples were skeptical. Jesus is concerned about the well-being of the people, warning the disciples in verse 3 that the visitors would, quote, faint on the way, unquote, should they try to return home without a meal. And the disciples ask in verse 4, How can one satisfy these people with bread here in the wilderness? St. Mark relates in verse 5 and 7 how Jesus with only seven loaves and a few small fish fed the multitude. The liturgical form is clear. Thanksgiving, breaking bread giving it to the disciples, blessing it, and seeing it served by assistance, here being the disciples. This is the pattern used in the sacrament of Holy Communion, also known as the Clementine or Pauline Rite. He succinctly summarizes the event in verses 8 and 9. So they ate and were filled, and they took up seven baskets of leftover fragments Now those who had eaten were about 4,000, and he sent them away. The 4,000 is a count of males only. Prayer book historian Massey Shepard, writing in the early 1950s, saw Jewish numerology in St. Mark's two accounts of the feeding of multitudes. In his version of the feeding of the 4,000, there were seven baskets left over, with seven or seventy as a symbol, symbolic number of the Jewish, or excuse me, of the Gentile world. In his account of the feeding of the five thousand, there were twelve baskets left over, with twelve symbolic of the tribes of Israel. 
The illustration, Feeding the Multitudes, is an illumination in tempera and gilt on parchment from the Codex Egberti, made in the late 10th century for the local bishop at the Benedictine Monastery on Reichenau Island, Lake Constance, southern Germany, now in the collection of the City Library at Trier, Germany, in the southwest corner of Germany in the Rhineland-Palatinate state near the border with Luxembourg. The original collect for the eighth Sunday after Trinity was adapted from the Gelasian Sacramentary. Revisions were made to the preamble in the 1662 Book of Common Prayer to more clearly emphasize the theme of God as both all-knowing and in complete control. Here there are only two petitions. O God, whose never-failing providence ordereth all things both in heaven and earth, we humbly beseech thee to put away from us all hurtful things and to give us those good things which are profitable for us through Jesus Christ our Lord. The illustration is a drawing of Pope Gelasius I from an unidentified 19th century history of the papacy. The epistle reading for 8th Sunday after Trinity, Romans 8, verses 12 to 17, which continues on the same theme as the epistle readings from the work of St. Paul on the two previous Sundays. One of St. Paul's continuing themes throughout his epistles is the human struggle against passions, or in the King James Version language, lusts or flesh. Here he is urging his correspondents not to give in to temptations of the flesh, meaning not just bodily passions, but all the temptations of everyday life in the secular world, but instead to accept the sovereign gift of grace from God the Father through the Holy Spirit. Here is verse 12 and 13. Brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. He ties these ideas into his theme of Christians as children of God in these Trinitarian remarks in verses 15b to 17. You receive the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. The illustration is an 8th century mosaic of St. Paul at Korah Church, or Church of the Holy Savior, in the field, Istanbul, Turkey, formerly Constantinople. The Gospel reading for 8th Sunday after Trinity, Matthew 7, verses 15 to 21, is an account of Jesus' allegory about false prophets and trees and their fruits. The discourse follows from the Sermon on the Mount. The place is near Capernaum on the western side of the Sea of Galilee, and the audience is the multitudes plus the disciples. The time is 28 A.D., the second year of Jesus' public ministry. The pericope includes two warnings from Jesus. The first warning is about false prophets, which, when considered with the second warning, is actually a lecture on external righteousness versus true righteousness. 
Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. This is followed by a short homily that only good trees bear fruit, and the opposite also being true, that bad trees bear bad fruit. The second warming, consistent with Jesus' verbal attack on the Pharisees, later in the Gospel of St. Matthew in chapter 23, is a veiled message concerning external righteousness versus true righteousness, and here read from the NKJV text of verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. The illustration is the next three bowls poured out, an 11th century illumination on the punishment of the false prophets from Revelation 16 verses 8 to 13, rendered in tempera and guilt on vellum from the Bamberg Apocalypse as it was used in the AIC bookstore publication Revelation, an idealist interpretation. My discussion of seasonal music celebrating the Holy Trinity continues with the next three of eleven Trinitarian hymns in the St. Chrysostom Hymnal, our collection of hymns, songs, and canticles arranged to easily sung tunes. Number 746 is Holy Father, Hear My Cry, written by Horatio Bonar in 1843 A.D., and here arranged to Innocence. Number 747 is We Believe in One True God, which was written by Tobias Klausnitzer in 1640 A.D. and using the translation by Catherine Winkworth in the 19th century, arranged to the tune Dix. And finally, number 748, O Father, Uncreated Lord, which was written by A.T. Russell circa 1851 A.D., and is arranged to Winchester New. The theme music for this series is Reginald Heber's hymn, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, ably played for us on his church organ by Richard M.S. Irwin and is available for download from his dedicated web address, https colon slash slash play dot hymns without words dot com. I thank Richard for granting permission for its use. Other AIC resources referencing topics discussed in this episode are found in several places on our website. In my discussion of prayer book historian Massey Shepherd's interpretation of the Collect for Eighth Sunday after Trinity, I mentioned Hebrew Old Testament numerology. From our virtual bookstore, the AIC bookstore publication Revelation, an idealist interpretation, offers a primer on numerology in Revelation on pages 7 to 11. In Beliefs of the Anglican Church, you'll find a discussion of the doctrinal terms grace, faith, faith, mercy, and prayer on pages 77 to 87. Like all our books, Revelation and Idealist Interpretation and Beliefs of the Anglican Church are accessible using the virtual bookstore links at the bottom of the home page. On the digital library page, there are links to the AIC Christian Education video series, The Lord's Prayer Phrase by Phrase. 
Jesus' grant of the right to call God by the name Father is discussed in episode 1. I will have more to say on that same topic in a moment. On the podcast homilies page are links to my homilies for the 6th, 7th, and 8th Sundays after Trinity. In the discussion of Matthew 7, verses 7 to 21 for the 8th Sunday, I quote from the two verses from St. Matthew, which prayer book historian Matthew Shepherd, Massey Shepherd suggests are necessary to fully establish the context and meaning. Additionally, my homily for the fourth Sunday in Lent is focused on St. John's account of the feeding of the multitude, in that case the feeding of the 5,000. In that account, I discuss the liturgical form of the scriptural accounts mentioned in this episode. On the Bible study page, there are links to episodes in our Bible study series, New Testament Gospels. From the Gospel of St. Mark, I discuss St. Mark's view on the power of faith, summarized in Mark 8, verses 15 to 21, which appears in episode 7. In episode 8, I discuss St. Mark's account of the feeding of the 4,000 in the context of 18 miracles, which, according to St. Mark, demonstrate Jesus' divine origin and authority. From the Gospel of St. John, I discuss the dispute between Jesus and the Jewish authorities over his use of Father in a discussion of the Before Abraham Abraham Was, I Am declaration found in episode 33 and continued into episode 34. Finally, other AIC resources include Father Ron's blog, a page on our website in which I post new information, usually weekly, and generally include with it at least one graphic from our archive of historic church art from the Western and Eastern traditions. You can access the page in several ways, by clicking the Father Ron's blog tab, from the site menu at the bottom of the page, as shown on the slide, or at the top of the home page. You can also get there directly at http colon slash slash www.anglicaninternetchurch.net slash blog with blog spelled in small in small letters. Once you're on the Father Ron's blog page, I invite you to subscribe to the blog by clicking the Follow Anglican Internet Church legend, which is placed below my picture on the far right side of the page. You'll be asked to enter your email address to receive notice of all new postings from our site host at wordpress.com. Thank you very much for joining me for Episode 4 in Trinity Tide, the Teaching Season. Next time in Episode 5, the focus will be on the 9th, 10th, and 11th Sundays after Trinity and the final two of 11 Trinitarian hymns in the St. Chrysostom Hymnal. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be merciful to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Glory be to God for all things. Amen. This program has been a presentation of the Anglican Internet Church. 
We invite you to visit our website and use its resources at www.anglicaninternetchurch.net.